English language is a, a tough one to understand because we have individual words that have so many definitions. I was talking to uh, some of our friends at our church uh, this last week and uh, we, we were talking about the English language that they are working diligently to try to learn and to understand and they speak Spanish. And uh, I said, I said, I said, it's probably a lot easier to learn the Spanish language than it is the English language. And he's like, yes, very much. So it is amazing how we have a word. And unless we have a picture or something within the context, what are we even talking about? Uh, if I said, hey, look, there's a trunk. Well, what do you mean? Trunk of a tree? Trunk of a car, trunk of an elephant, trunk in the chest at, at the bottom of your bed. We have one word spelled the same way, multiple meanings. The word commit, you say, well, that's an easy one. Do you know Webster has nine definitions for the word commit? We have a committal service. That's one definition. Or we committed this person to prison. They're, they've been committed. I mean, the list goes on. And most times we think of it as, I'm going to commit to do something. And that's how we use it most of the time. And when we see our proverb that we're going to learn and, and some other verses, um, we, we do see that in a part of the meaning, but it, it literally means to entrust, to commit, to entrust to somebody else. Early on when I became a Christian, I heard a lot of preaching on commitment. Boy, you got to be committed to do this and committed to do that. And you, gotta, you know, most of you know me. You know, when I got saved, I knew nothing about church. I knew nothing about the Bible. I'm like green as could be. So I'm going into this church cover Bible, and I'm like, okay, what do we do? So I'm watching all of these Christians and how they act, what they do, what you know, their involvement. And I'm like, okay. My wife says, hey, we're going to join the choir. I on purpose got kicked out of choir in school. You know what I mean? I didn't want music at all. Guys, that's not masculine. I want to go to the gym. And so I'm like, oh, okay. And, and there they had tryouts. So I'm, I'm in this little room, and Kathy was a lady on the piano, wonderful, wonderful musician. She goes, okay, do you know any songs? I'm like, I don't know what I sang. I don't know if it was Amazing Grace or what. I didn't know the hymns well either. Thanks, Lori. So we're in this room, and she says, well, hit this note. And I hit it and went up and down the scale, you know. So she, she, she said, you're in. Okay, I'm in the choir. What do we do? I knew nothing about notes. I knew nothing about music. So I'm in there singing away, just yelling, you know, and we committed to be in choir. We committed then later on in another church, we moved to another church, and we started committing to do other music. And then we found out, oh, by the way, they need somebody to help out with children's church. And they need somebody in nursery. And they need somebody to go to the nursing home. And they also need somebody to be involved with the bus ministry. And before I knew what in the world happened... I was committed to so many different ministries. And you know why I committed was for guilt. I was guilted into doing these things. It wasn't, most of those things were not on my heart to do. I did them because, well, nobody else is doing it. If you don't do it, it's going to fail. And so we commit to things, and it's not because we want to do it, or we even have a heart to do it. And then later on, God did put some stuff in my heart to do for Him. There are certain things I wanted to do for Him. But the one thing God called me to do was to, to begin uh, the approach of going into ministry. And I'm watching you know, all of these men... In that time period, it was really weird what was happening at that church. It was really weird. And I, don't want, I still don't know what was happening. But we had like seven, eight different young families all commit to go into ministry, pastoring. So they went to Ohio, or they went to Ohio, or they went to this school or that school. you know. And they were going all over the place to these different schools. And in one semester, they all came back. 
None of them made it. Uh, matter of fact, uh, there's only one family that I know in that whole group that he's actually pastoring. And so Lori and I are kind of like, hey, you know, I think God's calling us. They've been working in our, God's been working our hearts for about a year. And we're like, you know, we really need to pray about this. It was a missions conference that God started working in our heart. And so we're praying. And then on this one Wednesday night, you know, we had prayed and fasted that day. And we both realized, you know, God's calling us to, to the ministry. And so we announced it that Wednesday night. It wasn't big fanfare. It was just, you know, we stood up and said, hey, God's calling us to ministry. And we were encouraged by a lot of people. But can I be honest with you? I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know. I'm like, okay, we're going to go into ministry. That means we're going to sell our house, we're going to move to another area, we're going to go through school, and we're going to find a church, and I'm going to yell at people. Because in the 70s, that's what preachers did. They were, you know, veins popping out of their necks, and they're screaming and yelling at you, and you're like, oh, I'm so guilty, I'm such a wicked sinner, I don't do anything right. And so I'm like, everything was guilt, mm, oppression, and uh, it's like, uh. so, so I'm, so I'm, I'm getting, you know, so we committed, you know, we're going to go to school. First day of school, science and the Bible. I wasn't called to preach science. I was called to preach the Bible. I had no idea there was a connection. I skipped science class too. The guy had one eye. No, this is serious. He had, he had one eye, and it was the side always at the door, and I knew when he looked this way, he couldn't see peripherally this way, so I would skip out and go to the gym and work out. You say, how would you get through the test? I was an unsaved kid. I cheated. And when I went to get my, my, my grades to go to college, they said, oh, science is one of your strongest classes. I aced it. And I'm like, I don't remember science. <laughs> and then you go to class and you're going, okay, these are the mutations and these are the DNAs you need to understand. And we understand that it doesn't transfer from one species to another. You know, God made a species and it cannot connect. Therefore, evolution is wrong and creation is right. And I'm like, what did you just say? I went home and I bawled the whole way home. It's an hour drive. And I went home to Lori and I said, I'm done. I said, I quit. I said, I can't do this. I don't know anything about these things. These guys are like really educated. I just got saved and I don't even think I read my Bible through the whole way yet. And I'm, I'm like, and Lori looks at me, she grabs me by the neck, John. She's just like, no, no, no. You are going back tomorrow. She's tough. And she said, no, you're going back. And I'm like, I can't do this. Well, the next class, the next day, it was more Bible and more things that I was really thinking I was going to be getting into. And after a while, after a while, we realized this is what God was having us to do. One of the things that I learned very early on, because, again, a lot of people were putting all these pressures on me as a Christian. I'm brand new at this, you know. Oh, you gotta be a swimmer. You gotta read your Bible. You gotta be praying. You gotta do this, 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 this. all these things that are being. It's just like, am I good enough? Can I even do this? And I remember this one preacher, preacher Marks. He was yelling at us one day in class, and he was he was like bringing this point. If you can't even teach this or know this about the Bible, you have no purpose being in the pulpit at all. And I went, Ew. and I remember that day. I was right around Dolphin, uh, Pennsylvania, little little community there going between Harrisburg and Lewistown. I remember driving up through there, 322, and I'm bawling, bawling, bawling my head off. And I'm like, God, I'm not smart enough to be a preacher. These people are like doctor's degrees. They're, sm they're like really smart people. They know history, church history, American history, Europe's history, church history. They know it all. I don't know anything. I just love you. And I remember going, going up the road there, and I'm thinking, God, you told me in the Bible, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And I remember saying, God, I need your wisdom. Not the wisdom of the world, not the facts, but I need 
common sense biblical wisdom. And I remember to this day driving and bawling my head off. And I remember saying, I can't, but you can. And that was the day I committed my life and the work. All that time before, the work was what I was doing for God. Commit thy works unto the Lord. The word commit doesn't mean what I'm doing for God. Commit means I'm entrusting to God my work. And then the result is the thoughts are then established. How we think, how we reason, what we do, what we allow to consume in our, our minds, totally transformed. That was one turning point for me. There was one about five years ago too. But, but I began to realize, I can't do this. Stop trying to do it. And trust this all to the Lord. The, the word literally means, you're, it's like you're taking a huge rock that you might be able to roll and try to get it, but you really, you can't do it. The burden is too heavy. So you say, God, you're like really powerful. You're really strong. And you can go, think to that big rock. This is nothing to you. So literally it means that we're entrusting, committing to God that which we cannot do ourselves, and yet we're doing the work. I love, I love David. I'm going to cheat a little bit with my notes here. But David, is, it's the story you all know so well. It's, it's David and Goliath. And we know this story. You've taught it. You've read it, you know, and, and everything. But here's this young, young man comes to see the battle, and when he gets there, the big brother's like, what are you doing here, you little runt? Go home and play with your sheep. You know, take care of those things. You know, you don't need, you're just a little brat, you're wanting to see the battle. And he's like, the first thing he looks at him and says, wasn't there a cause? Is there not a cause? That's the first thing he says. Then, later on, as the progress goes, He's, you know, he tossed it to the, to the king. They, they you know, say, hey, we hear this young guy saying he can take on Goliath. Nobody else will. So he comes and sees the king. Pretty big deal. And the, the king's like, honey, you, you're, too, you're too small. You're a little kid. You didn't, you're not a warrior. You can't do this. And he says, well, I'm taking care of sheep, and I had some pretty big predators coming after me. I killed them. And this one, this Goliath, he's going to be just like them. I take care of the lion. I can take care of this guy. You say, well, there's the, there's the confidence in self. No, no, no. The next line he says is, God will deliver. You starting to see it? He's called to do a work, but his trust is in God that this has to be what God actually does. And then he goes on and says the next line, they need to know that there is a God in Israel. So you're starting to see the, the way he's thinking. And then it says, he says, the battle is the Lord's. Now we're really starting to see the heart. And then the last thing we know in his action, after all of this, it's really cool. Because here's this young guy, and he's got his sling, and he's got his rocks. And, and over here is, is the army of the Philistines, the army. And we see Goliath, this nine-foot-plus guy standing there. And it says that David ran right at the army and Goliath. Isn't that kind of cool? Not just this guy. He says, come on. Army, Goliath, I'm there. You want to talk about intimidation? And yet, and yet this man, young man, ran to do the work. Because he knew that the battle is the Lord's. What he did was he took this huge boulder that he couldn't budge. And he said, God, I'm stepping to the side. I'm entrusting you now with that which I cannot do. I am powerless. I am committing my work that I'm about to do. I'm committing it to you because I can't. 
There are things in our lives, folks, that we have been doing for all the wrong reasons. Out of guilt, oppression, all of these things where, well, somebody's got to do it. I guess I'll jump in there and do it. No, no, no. If you are doing it out of guilt, you might be doing it for the wrong reasons. Commitment is God. There is a work that I know that you have called me to do, which I cannot do. I'm young, or I'm unable physically. And so therefore, Lord, I'm committing this work to you. And then my thoughts begin to change. When we commit it to God, the way we reason is totally changed. It's now firm. It's established. There's no wavering. I think this, I think this, I think this, I don't know. You know, when we do that, what we're not doing is we're not committing it to God. And we're doing it in our own strength, and we're failing. And, oh, I'm going to try. Oh, I failed. Oh, I'm going to try again. Oh, I failed. Talking to some parents recently. They've got some kids that are wayward, and it is a burden. Many parents in this room have gone through it. Those who have younger children... It'll be your turn down the road. And they see these kids that are wayward and we're trying to do the work. God, I'm committing myself to tell them the word. I'm committing to pray for them. I'm committing to, to change them as best as I can. I want to be an example to them. And those are good commitments. But can I remind everybody in this room, you can't save a soul. You can't change a heart. That's God's department. And if you've won them to yourself, that's what you've won them to. Your goal is not to win them to you. Your goal is to win them to Jesus. That they are going towards Him. God, not you. You're just, you're just the parents. Children are in heritage of the Lord. They came from Jesus. They're not even yours. Bonnie and George, these children are not yours. They're God's. And so, so what we learn as parents and even grandparents as we pray for our kids, we are literally saying, God, we can't move this. We can't change them. But you can. Love the story of the prodigal, huh? So here, the prodigal comes to daddy and says, Daddy, give me all the money. I want to go. And he does. Prodigal is gone, wastes all the money. Can you imagine what the father is going through? You know how many times he was reaching for the door to say, I'm going to get him. But he didn't. You know why? He committed him to the Lord. He entrusted him to God so that God would bring the transformation. And guess what God does? He takes everything from this young man he takes his wealth he gives him the worst job in the world until the young man came to his senses and then he realized I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against my father and he returns we are trying to do things so many times in our own strength and it's not our job now there's a work that we're involved with but this is something that only God can do I'm praying about this message, folks. I'm like, I don't know how this thing's going to even translate. You know, I'm walking around this morning just praying. I'm saying, God, and I, all of a sudden it came to, your, to the mind, just like, hey, Carl, would you just practice what you're getting ready to preach? We do. We, we take ownership to so much of what we do, and we're not entrusting it to God to fix it or to do it, to take care of what you cannot do. I can't speak to your heart. Only the Holy Spirit can. So now, what's the, what's the drama in your life? When you wake up or before you go to bed, what's the oppression? What's the, what's the burden that is on you? The message today is going to be take that, which you cannot lift, you cannot change, and you commit your work, commit it to the Lord. Now watch, I'm going to go back to the parenting thing. 
When we as parents are trying to fix the kids and we're trying to fix the problem, we're trying to fix, 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 we're, we're doing all this work. Um, we're the ones that are going through sleepless nights. We're the ones that are miserable. They're having fun. They don't even care that you're staying up all night. They don't even like you that much. You don't do enough for them. I want, I need, I want, you know? And you're going, oh, I'm trying to fix, why don't they just see it? I've told them they know the truth. They have all the answers, what's going on. This is between them and God. God's got to fix them. So here's what you do. You say, God, they're your kids. Uh, by the way, uh, Moses did that with the Israelites. God, I, these are not my kids. I did not birth them into this old world. They're yours. You fix them. I can't. They hate my guts. They hate Aaron. They hate you. We're trying to lead them into doing what's right, and they don't even like your law. They like idols. They think idols are what brought them out of Egypt. <sighs> so you commit them. You say, God, they're yours. You gave them to me. I'm going to keep on praying. I'm going to keep on sharing the word. And you know what I'm going to find out? I'm going to find joy in my life again. My thoughts are going to start changing. I can do all things through Christ. Why? Because he's the one that strengthens me. The joy of the Lord is my misery. Is that what it says? The joy of the Lord is our there is a power that comes because of our rejoicing in who God is and what He is able to do. The problem is we haven't seen the fix yet. Yet. So we're going to watch God begin to intervene like God did with the prodigal. And it's fun journey. Watch your kids fail and fall right in the mud and they're dirty and muddy and you say, well, that was stupid. And you're sitting across the table enjoying your meatloaf. And they're like, don't you care? Oh, you care all the bit. You've been praying for them and loving them. But my joy is not coming because everything is going well around me. My joy is in the Lord because of who He is and what He has done for me. Okay, we've got to get into the message now. We are in Proverbs. We're going to read a couple verses here. This message is free today. In other words, this, is, this has nothing to do with next week or anything. This is, uh, we're going to get changing gears uh, for the year, getting away from the eschatology as we have been in and uh, covering some different subjects. We'll explain that, Lord willing, next week. So would you please stand out of respect of God's Word? We're reading one verse and I hope this makes sense when you think of David. You think of your life. Proverbs 16, verse 3. Commit. Roll on to God. Give over to God. To give in charge to God your works unto the Lord. By the way, you'll notice the word Lord there is capitalized all the way through. So, that is Jehovah. The self-existing one, the all-powerful God. We have in the beginning God, and we have the Elohim. But here, when God said to Moses, you tell the, the people, uh, uh, it, the great I am, the I am has sent you unto them. And he says then, and thy thoughts, how you think, shall be then established to be firm. It's fixed, it's stable. And that's what we're praying for is our minds are going to be fixed. They're going to be stable. They're going to be established because we've committed things to God. Father, bless this time in your word. Help me, Lord, to teach your good people. Lord, I love them and I pray that you're going to help all of us to get a hold of our works for you. What you ask us to give to you and also what you have asked of us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for doing this work today. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. The psalmist in chapter 37 and verse 5 said, commit thy way unto the Lord. Here it is, commit thy work 
unto the Lord. The word way has the thought of your whole life, your whole lifestyle, everything. You just commit that. It's the same Hebrew word, commit it unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So again, God is asking us to commit our life, our whole way unto him, and then brings in the faith concept to trust him, and then God is going to be able to step in and do it. Do you ever think we're tripping up God, we're getting in God's way, because we're trying to do it in our own way, in our own strength? As we're getting ahead of God, David, man, he was right beside God. You could just sense the Spirit of God guiding him with what he said, what he did, the confidence. It was the work of God inside of him, and the confidence then was there. The mindset was totally transformed and changed. He shall bring it to pass. The idea is that of a rolling a heavy burden from ourselves onto another, laying it on him. So that he can bear it. The burden which we have no strength to bear, we lay it on God. Does this verse, verse sound familiar in 1 Peter 5, 7? Casting all of your cares on him, for he careth for you. So we're taking that which is an incredible burden and God again is confirming in the new what he taught us in the old is to literally give over to God, roll it upon him and we no longer, because we can no longer bear it and do it on our own. And as we begin to do that, it changes the mindset and how we, how we perceive things, how we look at things. This is the first part of it. And there's, there's a couple of other verses I want to share with you as far as what is it that we are to commit to God. We learn here we're to commit our work to Him. You're in choir. You're in ministry. You're in WANA. You're a Sunday school teacher. The list goes on with the, uh, the multiple areas where we can serve in a local church. But we're dealing about your work, where you live on an everyday basis, all that you are involved with as far as the activities. And the word literally means your business, your work, that which you are involved with, you committed unto the Lord. A number of years ago, there was uh, some burdens my wife and I were going through that very few understood and knew about. And the burden was incredibly heavy, and much of it was because for myself, I can speak for myself, is I was taking it upon my own shoulders to a point where you just feel like quitting. Are preachers allowed to admit that in the pulpit? I'm only speaking because of what everybody else goes through too. What's happening? Is it worth it all? Why am I doing this? What's the actual end? What's the aim of it all? And we're going through weeping and praying and fasting, not because we choose to, because you don't even look at food and it doesn't even taste good. And you're just, you're just existing. And God takes you then and he begins to lift you up. He starts to carry you. It's an amazing walk. And before long, you realize, wait a minute, I've been doing everything wrong. I've put this burden on me instead of putting it on God. No wonder I'm collapsing. No wonder I'm, the, the mindset, it's heavy all the time. Overthinking things analyzing, trying to please people, trying to do this. And I thought, well, where did God call you to do that, Carl? So I took all those burdens, and I said, God, I can't. They're, they're yours. That's all yours. And I got back into what God had called me to do in the first place. Preach the word. Be instant and season out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. God called me to, to preach. God called me to pray. God called me to minister. And I got back to what God wanted me to do. 
And it was an absolute liberation in my life. And I hope that this is going to translate into your life. That you start lining things up with this. This is what it comes down to. Not what Dr. Fluffy had said. Not what he wrote in his book. That we will have a discerning spirit between that which is right and wrong based on the word and what we see rather than what people are saying. Matter of fact, I'm finding I want to listen to people a lot less lately. I want to listen to this. And then I draw from the word, and then I don't have all of this oppression. Oh, if I do this and so and so won't like that, you go through all that man pleasing stuff. That never works in ministry. Stop it. Serve Christ. Give him the burden. Now we're ready to serve with a smile on our face. Big smile. Because I'm serving the Lord. How's your day? Great. My head is killing me. My back is killing me. My knee is killing me. Okay? My blood pressure is high, but I am awesome in Jesus. I am smiling as big as it gets. The head's ready to explode right now, but who cares? Jesus is good. See, our, our circumstances dictate how we feel. How you doing? Well, I'm just so horrible. Would you give it to God? Because you can't do anything about it. Give it to Him. Joy, happiness, revival, life inside of us is what God is calling us to do. You, folks, can I help us? Is it our fault that the world isn't getting saved? Oh, just God's not working the way He used to. So. God's the same. God hasn't changed a bit. Maybe the church has. Maybe, maybe we're doing about it all wrong. Maybe we're griping, complaining, and this is wrong, and this is wrong, and just ripping into everything, and they're saying, okay, that's what Christianity is all about. You can have it. You know, home's dysfunctional. We're yelling and screaming, and everything's just... And they're like, oh, count me up for that Christianity. And we have lost our joy. Because we're continually looking at the circumstances that ail us. And we're focused on the wrong thing and we haven't said, God, I can't fix the cancer and I can't fix the heart disease and I can't fix all this. I'm trusting in you because this is your department. I'm trusting in the doctors. They're great people. God, you give them wisdom. But ultimately, healing comes from God. My life and my death are in His hands, not the doctor's. You know how many times the doctor said, oh, they're going to be gone in probably a day or two. Months later, they're still here. Years later, I've experienced with some people, you're supposed to be dead eight years ago, and here you still are. How are you alive? Because God wants me here. My life is His. My days are numbered. So am I going to worry about when I'm going to die, or am I going to live the life I have been given? Isn't it a mindset? It totally changes how we're viewing now. So we trust it into God's hand. And trust, give it, commit, Lord, it's all yours. And now, let's move on with life. Enjoy the Lord. Enjoy one another. We were with some family last night. Just a privilege for me to, to pray with them and pray for them. And I found it a joy to just pray with the brotherhood. And to listen and to fellowship. And I think that's what God was calling us to do. And I'm not saying there's not negativity. And I, you know, We're going to get into Titus and he's going to say, avoid those people that have these stupid questions. Avoid them. You know, because people are all negative, you know, and everything. It's like, let those people go that want to gripe and complain. It's like, no, that's not what God's called us to do. Matter of fact, I'm to avoid, avoid people like that. So I am going to follow my God serve my God, love my God, and I hope I can portray that to my people that you fall in love with God more this year because it's about Him. That you fall in love personally with God more this year and you realize the world that we are living in and how we're to view them, and that's this year's messages, at least this year. might be two years. I don't know how long it's going to take.
And we're gonna, we're, we want to have a biblical worldview of what God's called. Okay, I've got to give you the last verses. Go over to 2 Timothy with me, and then we'll get you out the door. These are verses that you all know very, very well. 2 Timothy, both of them will be found there. The first one is in chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to read verse 12. What builds up to this is this matter of the gospel. The gospel is the good news. The word gospel means good news. And the good news is that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, and rose again the third day. There's, God says, I will have no other gods before me. And the plan of salvation was etched in stone before the world ever even began. The plan of salvation has always been God's design to save the world before Adam and Eve fell. So this gospel had been entrusted um, to the Apostle Paul. We'll get into that in a second. And uh, so, so he's out preaching the word. And if you've read the book of Acts, you'll realize when Paul was going around preaching the word of God, um, it wasn't a bed of roses. I mean, people hated his guts. They tried to kill him. Uh, shipwrecks, being stoned to death, hungered, you know, Second yeah, Corinthians 11, I mean, just over and over again. So, so he says in verse 12, for the which cause. In other words, you're looking back at the gospel. Now, listen, the gospel was the cause. For the which cause, I also suffer these things. In other words, I'm going through physical anguish because of the gospel. If it wasn't for the gospel, he'd be having a great job with the Pharisees yet. He'd be rich and everything would be going really well. But now he got Jesus in his heart and that's, eh, now it's hardship. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. The ashamed is connected with the mind, which reflects on the actions. Notice the next phrase. For I know. The knowledge has to do with the thoughts being established from Proverbs 16.3. His thought was, it's already established. I know who I believed in. I am not ashamed of this message that Jesus says. For I know who I have believed. Where do we believe? Inside the heart, where the heart man believes under righteousness. So these are all internal uh, uh, functions happening inside of Paul. And he says next, I am persuaded. All this is like, I am here, I am here. It doesn't matter what's going on around me. But I am persuaded that he, that's God, is able to keep or guard that which I have, what's the next word? There's our word for the day. I've committed unto him against that day. Well, the question is, what did Paul commit to God? Well, he's got the gospel. He's going around preaching everywhere. He's suffering as a result of that. He's going through it, and he says, I'm not ashamed. I'm going to keep on going because God's not going to fail me. I'm going to continue to do this as long as he wants me to do it because I know who I have believed in, Acts chapter number 9. Jesus comes to him, and he says, Lord, what will you have me to do? He yields to Jesus Christ. Jesus is his Savior there on, and he says, I know who I believed in. And in my heart and in my mind, in my works and my actions, I am absolutely persuaded that he, God, will guard me, my soul, my spirit, my being, until the day I die. You know what Paul committed? His heart and his mind to God. His life, his death, everything was committed to God. So he took all these things, the negatives all around. He said, God, I'm going to commit me to you. My life is yours. I'm going to keep doing the work. And if I die, which he did in Rome, they took his life. But to that time, he said, mm -mm, my life is absolutely going to be given to God. My soul if I were to die today, tomorrow, doesn't matter, because I've committed my soul until I die or the rapture takes place. Have you done that? Do you know who you have believed in? Who have you trusted in for forgiveness of sin, 
for the eternal life that can only come from God. And who have you given your life to, your heart to? He, he's the one that's in control. If it's not the Lord Jesus Christ, if it's any other, God says there's no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. And that name is Jesus Christ. He loves you, my friend. He loves you. And, and God the Father sent his son to die on the cross for your sin and my sin. And I was 19 when I invited Jesus Christ into my heart. And it begins to change everything about your life. Look over chapter 2. And these are again verses that you know well. Chapter 2, verse 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So now we have this process of information that had been given to Paul from God. And it goes from God to Paul, Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, from faithful men to others. You'll notice with Paul, one, Timothy is one. And then it begins to multiply and begins to grow. And what he's saying is the information of the gospel and the word of God has been committed to us, and then we begin to give it out to others. And we have been, we commit it or give, give and entrust this same message to others in order to give it to others who give it to others. It's a commitment. It's an entrusting it's interesting in, in 2 Corinthians 5.19 where he talks about uh, that thought of being ambassadors and God has been working at reconciling the world to himself and he says he has committed to you and I the word of reconciliation. Committed to you and I. It's our responsibility. I'm not guilting you out. I'm just trying to help you realize this is what God says. Okay, hold your hands out and I'm going to entrust and now I'm going to give to you. Now, we have said, God, I'm going to give you my work. God, I'm going to give you my soul. I'm entrusting you for eternity. And God says, now, i got something to entrust to you. It's the gospel. It's a message. I'm going to entrust it to you. And so, therefore, you and I are stewards of information. You are never going to be the same after this message. Unless you were sleeping. And you didn't hear it. You have been entrusted, according to the scriptures, with the gospel. You have the ministry of reconciliation, getting God and man back together again through Jesus Christ, been given to you and I. So as it's been given to us, you know, Paul says, I gave it to Timothy. Timothy gave it to faithful men. Faithful men gave it to others. And the gospel should be multiplying, not shrinking. Jesus said it this way. In John 14, 12, Truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. See, the Father and Jesus, connected in heaven, sent the Spirit of God, the Comforter, to be with us. He says, it's more expedient for you that I go. Because if I don't go, the Comforter's not going to come. And the Comforter is given to us and enables us to do the work for God. But if we're trying to do it in the flesh, we're trying to do it ourselves, it's going to fail. I'm going to be honest with you, folks. I have no idea what's going on in Christianity. I hear bits and pieces I mean, all that I know is what's going on here at Northside. But here's what I'm hearing. 45 minutes of loud music that basically you need earplugs to get through it. 10% of people are singing. Band up on the stage knows it because they practice. And they watch an entertainment for about 40 minutes. There's a sermonette. And everybody goes home. That's what I'm hearing going on. Tell you right now, ain't gonna happen here. No long I'm your preacher. This is not about rocking it out. This is, you know, is it where well, they say, well, we just need to reach the younger generation. It doesn't say each one reach one with a drum or a guitar or a piano or an organ. We're to reach each one with the gospel. 
Because music, as far as I know, didn't die on the cross. Jesus did. That's the message that transforms an individual. And the music, if it reflects the culture, and it absolutely does, then the culture of Christianity is basing everything on new, now, now, new, 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 new. And so therefore there's a new message, new entertainment. Well, the question is, where is it going to end? If it has to be new, there's going to be a point where you can't cross a line. As long as I'm your pastor, I believe that we need to keep things right here, loving the Lord Jesus Christ with a, a solemn, reverent church that reflects on who God is and order and understanding. Because God's not the, uh, uh, the author of confusion. And He wants us to be stable and established and that we understand I don't want you to understand. I want this message from this pulpit and in Awana and Sunday school and everywhere to be always reflecting on the simplicity that is in Christ. The singleness that is in Christ. Because if it is about a show, if it's about entertainment, then the only one we've reached people to is ourselves. And we failed a society. We failed the world that we're living in. I think it's time for us as Christians, we, it's time for us to get our act together. It's time for us to, the people are going to know, well, what is a Christian? What do we believe? Well, why do we believe that? Are we to be dogmatic about that? Are we supposed to be saying, this is the way it is? Oh, I was always told by the world, anything goes. Any God, whoever you want to believe in. Well, that's not what the Bible says. But we're going to get into some of these things this year. And we pray that we are going to be uh, enabling you with information, not just for yourselves, but that you can help the neighbor, you can help your kids. Because they need the Lord. It's going to be a fun year. You say, what are we going to get into? I have no idea yet. It's going to be an awesome year. Because I'm trusting the Lord. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to get into, in the beginning, God. You say, that's where we're going to start? Like Genesis? Yes. We need to be established and God, who He is, that He's our Creator. You say, why? Because there was one church asked in our community, and it was like, oh, we're messing up on something. The congregation was asked on a survey, is there more than one way to get to heaven? Over 50% of the congregation said yes. We're in trouble, folks. And I don't want my people confused. All right. Lord, we love you. Use your word. Establish us in the faith. Build us, Lord. And may we not allow the world to tear us down. May we not allow sin and the despair that is all around us, the dysfunction that we see, to hinder us from our own personal walk with you. That our faith in you will abound, that it will be stronger, that we'll recognize your grace, your riches that come our way. God, we have much to do while we're here. But it is because, Lord, we have entrusted it to you to do that which we cannot do. And it first starts by committing our soul to you because we cannot save ourselves. Only Jesus can. Lord, you know the hearts. If there are some here listening that have not believed in Jesus Christ alone as their salvation, that in the quietness of this moment, has my eyes closed. I want you to just listen. My friend, I don't know what you've heard or what you actually believe about Jesus Christ, but the Bible clearly teaches this, that He, Jesus Christ, is the only way for us to be forgiven by God. He's the only bridge, the only door, the only passage 
for us to be able to get into heaven one day. And you can't do it on your own. You cannot work your way into heaven. It is by believing what Jesus did for you. He did the work for you. And by faith, you will call on him. Just say, Jesus, I know you came to this earth to die for me, for my sin. And I'm believing in you right now, that you died and rose again for me. That I can't do it myself, but I believe you can do it for me. I'm entrusting this to you. I'm committing my soul to you. That when I die or you return, I will be with you for all of eternity. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me the eternal life that you've promised. Help me now, Lord, to serve you with my whole heart all the days of my life. And Lord, I know as I've learned today in your word, it's not going to be easy. But I'm trusting you to help me in this walk. If you prayed and invited Jesus into your heart, I'm so glad for you. Let me know after the service. One of the men, the ushers, or some of you are with, let them know the decision that you've made so we can help you to grow. Let's stand on our feet. Kathy's going to play through a verse of invitation. God's worked in your heart about something. I encourage you to come. Have a wonderful day, and uh, Lord, we'll see you back tonight. Close the burden. Thank you, our Father in heaven, for the blessings, the privilege, the opportunity, and you've awarded us to be together such as this. We're thankful, Father, that we live in a country that we have these freedoms and liberties. And Father, most of all, we're thankful for that what you have done for us and demonstrated your love in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to make this all possible. And Father, we pray that as we encounter now a new year, we guide, that you would guide and you would direct, you'd help us to be more committed, more committed to your work, more committed to what, uh, to live for you, more committed, Father, to get the gospel out. So bless as we dismiss from here, Father. Give us safety in Jesus' name. Amen.